If you did, grab a hold of it, raise it high. I see you got your Bibles. Excellent. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we spend this time around your Word, we pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to cause it to come alive for each one of us. We want to be not only people that hear the Word, but we want to do what you say. We want to live according to your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, there is a towel on the pulpit, not because I'm planning to sweat like T.D. Jakes does with his towel, Chicago, but because it symbolizes serving. It symbolizes the opposite of a self-centered life. It symbolizes foot washing. It symbolizes waiting on somebody. It symbolizes servanthood. And so I'm just popping this down here as a little bit of a, a visual prop, if I may. We're talking this morning about living beyond myself. Living beyond myself. We started this last week. We're carrying on today and for the next few weeks as well. I believe it's the right thing that we need to be doing. Now, John 13 and verse 3. Would you please turn there in your Bible? Let's hear the, the rustling of the pages. John chapter 13 and verse 3. Let's take a look. It says in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Wow. And to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He was a passionate guy, wasn't he? All or nothing. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your teacher, sorry, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. The Lord bless the reading of his word. <laughs> like they say in some of the traditional churches. Now, a few interesting aspects about the story, which I believe make us understand it a little bit more effectively. Usually, there would be servants on hand to do the job of washing the feet. So ordinarily, it wasn't expected of the guests to have to do this or for somebody to have to jump in, but normally there would be a servant. And this was necessary in those days because they walked on dusty roads, they didn't have tar roads, maybe they had a couple of cobbled roads in in Jerusalem Heights, I don't know, but uh, they walked on dusty roads, they had sandals, and what would happen is when you ate supper, you would recline at the table. Interesting to have eaten like that. I like to eat sitting up myself, thank you very much. But it seemed to have been a custom of the day that you would recline and lie on your side at the table. And this meant that your feet would end up in someone else's face. Just the way it was. Anybody ready for lunch? But on this occasion, there was no foot washer present. I, wasn't, I wonder if it wasn't by divine arrangement. Maybe Jesus had organized things that the foot washer wasn't going to be present because he was going to show his disciples something. But there wasn't a foot washer present. And chances are this created some tension. This created an awkward moment. Have you ever been in a situation where, where somebody spills something and then for a moment it's like, and then somebody jumps in, I'll get something, or I'll get a cloth, or somebody spills something on the floor, or lets a glass fall and break. Or something. There's an awkward moment, and, and then somebody will do it. Somebody will start to clean up. Somebody will run and get a dustpan and a broom or something like that. And so I want to suggest to you that there was a real awkwardness because there's no foot washer. Uh, we need to eat. There's the food. What are we going to do about it? Maybe some of the disciples weren't willing to do this. It was clear from the story that that was the case. Maybe uh, a guy like James thought, well, what's the problem? Why didn't the foot washer come? And Matthew thought they'd probably get paid well enough. They, they should be here. Maybe Peter thought, listen, well, I'm one of the, the top three, you know, it's Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. It's us four, no more club, and I'm not going to wash feet. That's what, Well, none of the disciples stepped forward to do the job, and so supper went ahead with dirty feet. And in verse 2 and 5, if I kind of join the two up, it says, And supper being ended, then jumping to verse 5, Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus did the job. Now, maybe you're not getting the magnitude of the moment, but I want to tell you, it must have been deathly quiet. There must have been a deathly silence there. 
And this must have been hugely embarrassing. Hugely embarrassing. Maybe if I could give just a little crazy example. We, we all enjoy uh, Dr. Miles Monroe, and, and he comes and visits with us sometimes, and, and we enjoy his ministry. But what if you were part of a small little group in the VIP lounge when, when he walked in, and then next thing, he started to wash the feet one by one. <laughs> Dr. Miles, please, stand up. Dr. Miles, no, please, it's fine. It, there would be an awkwardness. That awkwardness with Jesus must have been far, far worse because he was their hero. He had followed them around. There was this tremendous embarrassment. Jesus is actually washing our feet. He actually began to do it. So what happened? Jesus did the job. And then Jesus gives an instruction. You should wash one another's feet. Which brings me to point number one of three. Jesus calls every one of his followers to servanthood. Number one. Jesus calls everyone of his followers to servanthood. You can't come up with a reason to say, I'm off the hook. You can't come up with a reason saying, well, I'm a little bit too old, it's for the younger people to serve. You can't say, well, he's only 11 years old, he shouldn't serve. Or you can't say, well, I've got a, I've got a problem knee, <laughs> you know, or I've got uh, this or other ailment. In some or other way, everybody can serve. And here, Jesus calls every one of his followers to serve. Servanthood should be a distinctive characteristic of a Jesus follower. In other words, Jesus followers should live beyond themselves. Tommy Tenney. You may have known Tommy Tenney. He wrote the book, God Chases, and a man with a passionate hunger for God. And early in Tommy Tenney's life, when he was ordained into ministry, the custom of their church environment was, together with the ordination service, there would be a commemorative Bible that would be given to you. It would be signed by the most senior person around, it would have a church stamp in. It was one of those expensive, expensive Bibles. And it would, be it would be presented to you on the day of your ordination. Tommy Tenney said, with my ordination, he asked his leaders, he said, you know what? Could I please be presented with a serving towel? I don't want to be presented with that fancy Bible. I appreciate the gesture, but all I want is a serving towel. Wow. You know what? He purposed in his heart. He determined that the way in which he was going to do ministry was like the Lord Jesus, that he was going to serve. And John 13, verse 14, it says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, here's an important statement. If foot washing was not beneath Jesus, then it's not beneath you and me. If foot washing was not beneath Jesus, 
then it's most definitely not beneath you and me. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to go out and literally wash other people's feet with water and a towel and a container, that sort of thing. I'm not suggesting that that's what you need to do, although there are some people that have done that. They felt a call of God on their life to do that. A gentleman by the name of Pastor Dave Cape, South African pastor, he began many years ago to wash people's feet and he had a small little cross, wasn't all that big, and on the cross is a pottery type of bowl, and it's mounted onto the cross, and he would go all over the world, and he would wash people's feet, from somebody on the street corner, to people in cathedrals, to priests, to business executives, and on one occasion, uh, he washed, I also had the opportunity of him washing my feet, it was a special occasion, but not many people are specifically called to that kind of ministry where you literally wash people's feet. But you know what? I believe we are all called to begin to serve. Can you say amen to that? Are you awake this morning, church? We are all called to at least begin to serve, to begin to follow the example of the Lord Jesus. Some people have suggested that the modern-day equivalent to washing feet is washing somebody's car, all right, because it's the mode of transport. Now, with some people, you don't touch their car, all right? You get this clear? You don't touch their car. They've got a special polish and a special brush with pink stuff, and you know. But I don't know about that being the modern-day equivalent. Perhaps it is, but you know what? There are many ways in which we can serve. There are endless ways in which you and I can serve. I remember the computer company that I worked at prior to uh, launching out and starting the church. We were in an open plan office, a bunch of sales reps. There were 10 sales reps at the time. And uh, we, were, we would do our things. We'd all sit behind desks and computers and so on. And I remember one day, uh, I was working on my computer and I saw, gee, my screen is so dusty. And I took my finger, ooh, serious dust here. And I looked at some of the screens of the, my colleagues next to me and I thought, okay, I'm going to get a cloth and I'm going to clean the screens. So I went to the kitchen and commandeered one of the wash lops or vaslopis there and rinsed it out, got it nice and clean. And uh, I went one by one to each of the 10 LCD monitors and cleaned and wiped the monitor and went back and cleaned the loppy and came back and cleaned the next monitor. You should have seen the looks on the people's faces. I mean, the one lady, she said to me, you're going to clean my monitor? I said, yeah, look at it. It's dirty. You're going to get hay fever probably. I better clean it for you, you know. It's just a little way in which I served. My wife, during the week, she went and blessed uh, a particular family with a meal because the mom of the house had just come out of hospital after having quite a big operation. And so my wife made them a nice big beef stroganoff and went and dropped it off at their house. And uh, that was a way in which she served. It's not necessarily physically washing feet, but there are many ways in which we can serve. But number one, Jesus calls everyone every one of his followers to servanthood. Won't you say to the person next to you and just gently point at them and say, God calls you to servanthood. 
And I'm ready for lunch, thank you. <laughs> now, number two, you will be blessed if you live this kind of life, a life of servanthood. Blessed. Would you say that word with me? Blessed. Say it a little louder, please. Blessed. You will be blessed if you live this kind of life. Now, it says in verse 17, uh, John 13, verse 17, if you know these things, there's the next word, blessed are you if you do them. Now, most translations use the word blessed, but interesting, uh, two or three translations use the word happy. The Good News Bible uses the word happy, and of all translations, the King James Version the more formal one uses the word happy. Happy and blessed. Happy and blessed will you be if you live this kind of life. I like the way it puts it in the Amplified Bible. It says, if you know these things, blessed and happy and to be envied are you if you practice them, if you act accordingly and really do them. Now, the actual Greek word here is the Greek word makarios, which literally means supremely blessed. I looked it up yesterday in the uh, Strong's Greek Dictionary. Makarios. It says, if you do these things, makarios are you. All right? Supremely blessed are you. Now, could it be that if you live this kind of life, that divine favor will fall upon you. <laughs> Let me say that again. Could it be that if you live this kind of a life, a life where there's no problem to serve others and you want to serve other people, could it be that divine favor, blessing will fall upon you? Could it be that you'll be happier than you currently are? You know what? That's what the Word of God says. It says, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed and happy and to be envied are you if you practice them. What was Jesus saying? I've just washed your feet. I've set an example for you. If you guys take this seriously, your lives are going to be divinely favored by the Father. Grace will come upon your life in a beautiful and a special way. The question is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that divine favor comes upon you as you serve. That's what the Bible says, and that's what I believe. Do you believe that as well? Divine favor, blessing comes upon you. And you know what? I think of Wim Charles down the front here, Charles Libba and his wife Jackie. You know, he strikes me as a blessed person, he's the, he's the man who has brought all these guests here today. He honestly strikes me as a blessed person. When I see him, there generally seems to be a joy in his heart. There's a contentment in his heart. And you know what? A couple of years ago, uh, probably his whole life he's been doing it, but from what I know, a few years ago, he began to reach out in ways that are special. He began to adopt a, a white squatter camp near to Bonacord. Am I right? In that Bonacord area, 
where people uh, are underprivileged there, and he began to reach out and minister to these people, provide for their physical needs, and, and he began to live beyond himself. Uh, and Charles, how old are you, if I may ask? 67. Wow. You know what? He could have said at 65, it's retirement and it's nothing but golf clubs. <laughs> but you know what? He can still play golf and he can enjoy that. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, I see a joy on this man's life. I see him being blessed. I see divine favor upon his life. And hope you don't mind me using you as an example. But really, uh, he strikes me as embodying this verse Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. I'll just read it to you. It says, There is one who scatters. Now, this is scatters in a good sense, giving out. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich. He who waters will himself be watered. How's that for a statement? He who waters will himself be watered. The way it puts it in the message version, I like that. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others abundantly is blessed. Those who help others are helped. So number two, you will be, say it with me, blessed if you live this kind of life. Divine favor begins to fall upon your life as you live this way. Number three, the last aspect. True servants have a precious, humble attitude of heart. Can you think of somebody that you know who has a precious, humble attitude of heart? Can you think of somebody? And just the way in which they serve, the humility, their attitude is a blessing. I can think of somebody, and it's the lady that heads up our hospitality team, Vilma Buerta. Vilma, to me, is a lady, she, by the way, is the one you can say thank you to for all your tea and your coffee and your cookies and everything. Can we give her a hand, please, eh? <laughs> But I think of Vilma as a lady that serves with a beautiful, humble spirit. True servants have a precious, humble attitude of heart. Please look at Philippians chapter 2. This is the last uh, scripture that we're going to look at. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 to 8. Now, Philippians 2 verse 3 to 8 speaks about Jesus. We all love Jesus, hey? What would Jesus do? Well, this is his attitude of heart. Let's take a little snapshot of our wonderful, precious Savior and his attitude. And it says in verse 3, Philippians 2, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. This is not about having a low self-image, not at all. It's about serving people. Verse 4, let each of you look out 
not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I would like to say, in another translation, if I can put John's NIV, John's nice, interesting version, I would say the following. Do not be selfish, but live beyond yourself. That's what it says. Let each of you look out not for the, uh, only for the interests of... of uh, sorry. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. We believe in God's word, we love God's word, and this is talking about a special, precious, humble attitude that children of God should display or should be at least endeavoring to display this kind of attitude. But what do we see here? Jesus took on the form of a servant. Yet he was the one who deserved all the glory. Yet he was the king. Yet he was the darling of heaven. And yet he took on the form of a servant it reminds me of the scripture last week that we referred to, Matthew 16, verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And in verse 4, Philippians 2, it says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. You know what? Sometimes... A serving heart, a serving type of heart attitude means that you release somebody close to you to serve. If I can give an example of this, it might be allowing your wife to serve as an usher and being willing to sit on your own in church because it's a case of living beyond myself, you know? Growing up in Hatfield Baptist Church, as it was then known, myself and Andrew and Peter, us as brothers, we could never sit in church with my dad. He, he wasn't there for, for sitting next to us. We always had to be palmed off to this tunny with the kerkpalikis and that tunny with the kerkpalikis. Kerkpalikis are church sweets, jubjubs. <laughs> and we ended up sitting with this one and sitting with that one and how they all put up with us, I don't know. And sometimes when I was really young, I'd lie under the pews, under the pew benches and... Uh, Amazing, you'd look up at the pew benches, it was looking like it's stars because you'd see all these chewing gums under the pew benches. And at times I would even start recycling the chewing gums. Yeah. It's amazing. Church wasn't boring. We enjoyed church, you know. 
I can tell you about recycling, recycling chewing gum. Yeah, in case. But you know what? We would have loved to have had my dad sitting next to us in church, or my mom. But my mom's up tinkling the ivories, and my dad's up declaring the word of God. You know, <laughs> declaring the word of God. He wipes, takes his hanky out. I just want to tell you. This is a. <laughs> I just want to tell you. <laughs> and, but you know what? We understood that dad has got to serve the Lord. And it never occurred to me as a problem. The other day there was a little bit of a reunion of many of the people that were in the South Street Church and I was at that reunion. And uh, Ingrid very kindly stood up and said that thank you for not having your dad sit with you and this kind of thing. And, and for the first time it occurred to me that, wow, you know, this, it actually occurred to me, no, he didn't sit with us. I just, that was the way it was. But sometimes having a serving heart means you allow somebody else to be released to do what they need to do. Maybe you want to definitely do certain thing on a Saturday morning, but you know your spouse has a passion to go run a cricket clinic in a township. And, and sometimes your serving means releasing that person to go and be a blessing. Number one, I said today, Jesus calls every one of his followers to servanthood. Number two, you will be blessed and divinely favored if you live this kind of life. And number three, true servants have a precious humble attitude of heart. In conclusion, I'd like to say this. This is what we were made for. We were made to be a blessing. God has called you and I to firstly be blessed and out of that place of blessing to bless other people. And so you know what, folks? All I can do as your pastor is I can talk to you about the Word. But at the end of the day, it's a personal decision how you respond to this challenge. And I'm not saying everybody has to serve in this church, but I'm saying everybody has to serve. Everybody needs to take up that response or responsibility and say, Lord Jesus Christ, if serving was not beneath you, then it's not beneath me. Paul the apostle introduced most of his letters by saying the following, I, Paul, a servant of the Most High God. He didn't say, I, Paul, hotshot of the community. He said, I, Paul, servant of the Most High God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we say we love you. Lord, we love it when you speak to us through your word. I thank you that your word will not return void. And I thank you, Lord, that it will accomplish things in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would increase the passion within us to live beyond ourselves. Living beyond myself, Lord, may it be something that we take on. And I thank you, Lord, that it is hugely fulfilling. And in the process, we get watered and we get blessed. We thank you for your word to us today, Lord.
I pray now for every person here. We speak out the prayer of Jabez over you. We pray, oh God, that you would bless them indeed and enlarge their territory. That your hand would be upon them. That you would keep them from evil. And that they would not cause pain. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand for His goodness?